Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. And I'm your host, Christian Hammer. I'm going to revisit a topic that I think is fairly timely right now. The ever-evolving space that is AI and the opportunities it presents are evolving rapidly and it's hard to stay on top of it all. And if you're in the process of building a startup in that space, you might find that the the proverbial rug gets pulled out from underneath you on a regular basis because there's so much activity. This always makes me think of, you know, identifying that moment when you need to pivot. And that also relates to being a serial entrepreneur and they're all kind of mixed together. And that's what I wanna talk about right now is being a serial entrepreneur and the experience of being able to identify that moment when you need to pivot, as opposed when you need to hand it off or when you just need to double down, right? So being a serial entrepreneur, let's talk about that for a bit. For me, both in investment and in being an entrepreneur, it's really about the number of at-bats you can get, the number of opportunities you have, the number of times you try. Not because I think that you can't hit a home run on your first at-bat, you can, but I would argue that the person that gets into a game and swings for the fences the first time they've ever done it, it's almost guaranteed to strike out. You just don't, you haven't developed the reflexes and the skills yet to do it. Miracles happen, we'll get lucky, but the odds are against you. Your best opportunity, the best path forward and something I believe fairly strongly in is to get in and try. Get in, try, learn from the mistakes you made, adapt, try again. Learn from the mistakes you made, adapt, try again. This is no different than a company forming and having a hypothesis on what their product is gonna be going forward, having a plan to attack that, trying, recognizing that they were wrong in part of that hypothesis, that the opportunity was maybe different than they thought it was. Maybe they were approaching the wrong market. Maybe they had the wrong adapting, try again. The faster you can do that, the faster you can fail, the better, right? Get more chances. You only have so many hours in the day. You only have so much life to live. So you need to try and get as many chances in as short a time frame as you can, the fail fast mentality. I think people often mistake that. You do want to put your best foot forward. You do want to give it your best effort. You want to do everything you can to be successful with it. But knowing when you're failed is also important. The problem with your first time doing it is you probably don't know enough to know that you failed. And it's hard to know when to give up when you've, you've got nothing left to give. That's part of experience, right? Just learning your own weaknesses, your own failures. And sometimes, even uh, even when that seems obvious to somebody as an outsider, it turns out to be wrong. You can definitely push your way through and still win a losing from a losing standpoint. And that's often the failure of, of people that have done it too many times, or well, there's no such thing, but people that have done it a lot is that they maybe give up too. So how do you identify that right moment to pivot? I think the classical example, it's hard to say classical when they've only been around since the mid 2010, I think, um, is Slack. This is the one that people think of whenever we talk about a pivot because they're just a perfect example of it. So the group that built Slack was originally a game developer called Tiny Spec and they built a massively multiplayer game called Glitch. I don't know how successful Glitch was. I haven't done my research on that and I apologize, but I'm gonna assume it wasn't massively successful. It was a very competitive space. There was a lot of big studios putting a lot of money into big multiplayer games at that time. And I'm gonna assume that they just weren't getting the traction to really break through with their game. But 
in the process of building the game, they had built some internal tooling that helped them communicate better, helped them interface directly with some of the tools they use. So they had a common one shared interface for many tools. And they realized that that itself was the better opportunity for them to pursue. Now, why? Why were they able to identify that? Probably because they're pretty good entrepreneurs. But there's a couple things that they, they had to do to recognize that. The first was a relative um, marketability product assessment of the two, uh, sorry, opportunity assessments of the two different things. MMO space was crowded. They had big competition. Market penetration was gonna be difficult and expensive to get. Direct-to-consumer, you know, it was gonna take a lot of advertising dollars. On the flip side, the enterprise automation tooling and integration platform was effectively non-existent. There was a bunch of tools, but there wasn't one place where you could interact with all of them. And it definitely wasn't connected to any type of shared uh, knowledge transfer communication platform, which is what Slack is, right? And getting into that market, well, they didn't have to advertise it, they just had to give it away. Now, it's probably true with the MMO also, they could have just given it away. Maybe they did, don't know. But then on the other side of it, like, okay, great. What pain problem are we solving? What's it worth? How much is that pain worth and to who? And we generally, if you can find a pain point for an enterprise company, especially if it's an entire ecosystem of these companies, that tends to be a bigger opportunity from the pain point standpoint. A general consumer, globally has a certain buying power, but enterprises have a per customer have a much higher buying power, really speaking. And the so if you can identify just a big pain point for a big customer, it can have a big opportunity associated with it. And it might be a much more easily addressable opportunity in that I don't have to convince billions of users to spend a dollar a month. I need to convince a thousand users, a thousand customers to spend a million a month and I'm gonna end up with the same amount of money. Now, that's possible to do in the enterprise space. So great, I've got relative opportunity size, but I've also identified in there another piece, which you have to be able to address, which is my own ability to deliver it. Can I give you this thing? Well, in the case of Slack, they had proven it themselves because they dogfooded their own product. They used their product to build their product. So they knew they could develop it because they had. It was already built for them. So great, two of the three things are answered. The third is, do I have enough runway to go do this? Now, in their case, don't know if they had to go raise more money. Probably did. And sometimes you're limited by things that you've already set up. And for my concern usually when I'm starting a new company, new enterprise, is that I'm I'm cornering myself into a early plan that isn't thoroughly battle tested. And you can end up in an intractable spot where your investors bought into the original plan and now you've got to pitch them on the new plan. And especially early, you need to be able to make your advantage is your ability to change and, and adapt. And you want to limit the you want to limit your resistance to change. And so this is why I often take in the starve up route without raising capital. I try to do as much as I can early so I can find the real opportunity and the real big one that I want to chase. So being able to identify that opportunity and being able to ensure that you can actually deliver it and having the space to do it is what I think you have to be able to do to be successful in as being an entrepreneur. And those three things, the first being able to identify the opportunity, that is a skill you can go develop. Product management, that's what it is. Identifying that opportunity, describing what it is, going and building a plan to address it. Now we've covered the first two. I've said I've identified the opportunity. I've also determined how we're gonna do it. Gotta assemble the team, gotta make sure I've had it. 
important skill often helps to have a lot of relationships. The third, you know, giving yourself the runway to do it. You can go raise money, but knowing when and knowing that you've really got it often takes experience too. And this is the benefit of having a lot of experience, which is what you need to go get. If you if you really want to be a successful entrepreneur, it's about accumulating that experience. And you don't get it from spending 20 years at one big company. You just you're never going to get that experience unless they've got an, you know, an internal incubator like structure where they spin off new companies and you can go fail fast. The the problem in that environment is that you're really never allowed to fail and failing fast then doesn't happen. There are exceptions, there are some great companies that are really innovative, but they're, they're, they're a rare exceptions. So great, that means going out and doing it. The hardest part for people is, that, is honestly that third piece, giving yourself the runway to do it. And I've had the benefit of uh, having a spouse that has a great career that's always been a stable, reliable thing for us. And that meant that I could take, well, I, most people think of it as risks. I, I've never really thought of chasing my own thing and, and having control over my own destiny as all that much of a risk because I, I'm always gonna bet on myself. Why would I bet on somebody else when I, can, when I know what I can do? Um, I'm, I do bet on other people. Point being like, I'm gonna bet on myself first if I can. So I've had that opportunity and I'm not suggesting you go out and dump all of your responsibilities in life. If you've got children, get away from them. None of that, that's no. But you need to find, if you wanna be an entrepreneur and you wanna be successful at it and you wanna be able to be, you know, go build your own destiny, then you need to find ways of giving yourself more runway with less uh, restriction to it. And the instant you go raise money from somebody else, you've got restriction. So how do you give yourself that space? How do you give yourself that safety? Well, in a lot of cases, and a lot of my friends that have been successful entrepreneurs, they tried to minimize their cost of living as much as they possibly could. Uh, always good, generally speaking, to do that if you're gonna be taking chances on yourself, right? Like the, the lower your own overhead, the, the more other people you can bring to the project, theoretically, but with the revenue you've got or with the minimal investment that you've got. Keeping that, that investment level as small as possible is beneficial for keeping control. And I don't think of control as like egocentric, I have absolute control over this thing. I really think about it about as that ability to adapt to the new conditions that and new understanding we have about the world around us. And especially early before you've got a large customer base, before you've really built the thing out, you need that adaptability. Now that the, the next piece, and this is about really the transition phase from a proof of concept, early adopter into a real product piece that happens because that's the next phase of resistance you're gonna run into for change. The instant, the instant you have either a very large customer base in the B2C space, or a couple large customers in the B2B space, that is instant large resistance to change. Once you've got them, your ability to say, we have to rethink this is effectively done. You, you are gonna have to create new space to do that. And this is where a lot of big enterprises get stuck in old ways. It, they've got a huge customer base, they're very successful, that's how they got to be huge. But their ability to change, now they've got to convince all those customers and all that, that market that they've already built that the new thing they're gonna do is so much better than the thing that they do today. And even that conversation itself is risky. And the large corporation has shifted from opportunity to risk. That's just what happens. And hopefully you'll be successful enough to end up in that spot where you say, it's just too risky for us to risk it. That's for us to do this. That's great. That means you've built something massive. But early, your advantage is you don't actually have that risk profile. 
especially if you've done a good job of mitigating your own personal risk. I'm not gonna be homeless, I'm not gonna starve if this thing doesn't work. I've eliminated that so that I can not have to chase all the revenue right up front because that revenue starts to limit your ability to move. I start having a lot of customers, I start eliminating my ability to change path. It is important though, that you know when to double down on what you're doing and when you know when to pivot. And the doubling down piece is where the debate over lack of focus and uh, powering through really comes up. You don't wanna abandon early. If you've got something great that you really truly believe in and you're able to see the new information coming in and it still fits your hypothesis, it's, it's still a working model going forward, there's no reason to pivot. Even if you identify new opportunities that are potentially bigger, if the risk of doing it associated, you know, in comparison, or you just don't have the team profile or the runway available, again, no reason to pivot. Don't just pivot for the sake of new opportunity, don't do that. Finding that balance is key. Knowing when you need to double down and knowing when you should pivot, that's that's what you've got to discover as an entrepreneur. And I don't think that there's there's a formula for it. There might be. There's a there's not even an instinct for it. I think some people are naturally better able to stay the course versus uh, change their mind. More people have more. Some people have more elasticity of their opinions and, and of their mind. I, I think that successful technologists and people that are uh, very involved in modern technology have a couple advantages when it comes to being an entrepreneur. And one of those is just that elasticity, the ability to change your mind. But it shouldn't come easy. It, it shouldn't be something that you're just you know, flying around, hey, that's great. Oh, wait, no, it's terrible. That's great. That, that's, that's nuts. Like you, you need to be able to uh, rigorously defend something. I, I actually think that the best example is the scientific method just in general right? I form a hypothesis, I test it, I determine that it was either valid or invalid in some form, I form a new hypothesis based on the information from the testing, I test that, rinse and repeat. That's what we have to do in business, that's what we have to do as technologists as well. I, I think that that honestly is like if you use that process, great. There, there are ways of testing that are cheaper than others. There are there are ways um, when it comes to being a, a company. Uh, sometimes you get false positive signals. I think that uh, that's actually one of the worst things that can happen early is that your test was, maybe it was a well thought out test. It was just it itself, you didn't have enough information to know why your test was blind to some important variable. Like you had, uh, you had too many variables involved and you just didn't even know it. So being able to constantly test and even not trusting every, the response that you got, your test results from something early. And, and one of the principal ways that happens, and I've seen it many, many times, is that believing that your early adopters represent the entire audience. That the, the people that are gonna come in and try your new thing early are the same as the mass market that you're going after. And that is absolutely false. They have totally different. Uh, the, the the basic of that is like early adopters tend to be risk takers when it comes to trying things out because maybe they don't have as big a risk. They're a small company and you're in the enterprise space and they just don't have as big a need, as big a risk. And the mass adopters are the Fortune 1000, let's say. That's who you're targeting. And they have a much different risk profile. They have much greater needs, maybe around security or around something. But you get the point. 
that you can be blind to that. And it might just be because you trust the signals you're getting from your first customer. Doesn't mean what they're telling you is wrong either. And sometimes you can find great signals from that information early. But that's about that's a different topic. So knowing knowing when to double down and knowing when it's time to pivot, you can use the scientific method and be rigorous in your testing of your hypothesis, which means having a well-formed hypothesis to start with. That's how you do it. Again, it's not a formula. It's just a way of acting. And that's honestly what the Agile Manifesto was trying to talk people through without saying it directly. That's what a lot of entrepreneurs will talk about, what a lot of technologists will talk about without saying it directly. Use the scientific method as it applies to what you're trying to accomplish and you'll get better results. It doesn't guarantee you'll get a home run. It doesn't guarantee it'll tell you the moment when you can, when you need to pivot or when you need to double down. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it'll give you better knowledge and that knowledge will do you better in the long run anyway. Well, that's it for this week's Techtastic podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it with others, tell your friends, tell your family. <laughs> uh, if you would like to be on the podcast or you would like me to talk about a specific subject, the best way to reach me is hammer at techtastic.tech. Thanks for listening. Bye.